I invite you to uh, take your message notes from the worship guide and uh, take a pen in hand if you have one. And today we want to conclude this message series that uh, we've been calling Back to the Basics, Foundations for Mature Faith. And uh, I know for many of us, this has been a, a great series. I have learned so much. Uh, I've used a lot of resources, uh, different, some different resources to draw on for these messages and uh, I'm just grateful uh, to God for those resources and how they've spoken into your life and to mine. And uh, today, as we conclude this message series, we do so by looking at the reality of eternal judgment. And if you have your message notes and you uh, follow along there in the diagram, you, you see some building blocks. And uh, we've been looking at some of these topics that the writer of Hebrews uh, has been saying we need to have as a foundation to our faith if we are going to grow into spiritual maturity. And we've talked about genuine repentance and saving faith, Christian baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and all of what that means for us. And today we're looking at this topic of eternal judgment. And as we do, I want to do something a little different to begin our message this morning, and that is to begin with a drama. And we have a drama now titled After Life. Well, time to finish planning my funeral. Not that I'm sick or anything. I just, two funerals in the last three weeks, and it's just made me think about how I need to set a plan. All right, let's, let's just review my notes here. Um, the overarching principle of my funeral is it will not be boring. Okay. So we've got a number of rules so that the funeral is not boring. Okay, let's review. First one, no organ music. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Organ music's just depressing. And I mean, it's something that they play at organs or at funerals. I mean, uh, um, it's just slow and it, that, it just doesn't set the right mood. So no organs at my, oh, wait, wait, wait. We could do organ music like they do at the skating rink or the baseball game. Yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, that'll liven things up at the uh, funeral. Okay, rule number two, nobody wears a suit and tie at my funeral. Yeah, I like that. I think back on my life, except for the day I got married, every important thing it's happened to me and my family. I was not wearing a suit, so nobody else should wear a suit at my funeral. In fact, we'll have suit bouncers. You know, like at the fancy restaurants, we'll have people at the doors, and if men show up wearing a suit and tie, they're going to tell them, no, you got to go down the hall to the funeral home, change into shorts and a T-shirt. Because all the important things that ever happened in, in his life, he was wearing jeans and T-shirts. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, uh, next thing on my list. No dumb conversation at my funeral. Nobody's allowed to look and say, Oh, he looks great. I'm dead. You wouldn't go up to somebody at your house sleeping on the couch and say, You know, he looks pretty good. I'm dead. So no dumb conversation at my funeral. Uh, fourth, we're going to liven things up a bit. We're going to 
we got, I don't know what you call them, but they're, they're the, I call them the foo-foo drinks, the, the little drinks with the, you know, the, the, the um, umbrella on it and kind of, you know, have, have drinks and all the tables have like trail mix and, and mixed nuts and people will go around and they'll talk about, you know, what I meant to them and how, you know, what they meant to me in my life and share those experiences and everybody have a drink in their hand. It'd be a good time for socializing. Um... Okay, then we'll uh, oh, I, we'll do lots and lots of balloons at my at my funeral. I mean, balloons are festive, and I want my funeral to be a festive occasion. And so uh, we'll we'll do that. And uh, oh, I know whoever it is that gives the eulogy has to suck helium out of the balloon right before they talk. Yeah, we're here to remember the dearly departed. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a great idea. Yeah, that uh, certainly would not be a boring funeral if I did that. That's a great idea. Okay, then last, I'm going to write a letter. I need to I need to write a letter to the people that are left behind. You know, my family, my friends. Uh, you know, and somebody will read it out loud so everyone knows. You know, just kind of help ease the loss of the people that are there. I'll probably crack a few jokes. You know, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm in a better place. At least I, I hope I'm in a better place. Uh, actually, I, I don't know where I'll be after I die. I mean, when I was a kid, it just seemed real cut and dry, to heaven or hell. If you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. But I don't know anymore. I've got... I've got friends, some really smart friends, who say that when you die, you just your soul goes to some point, and and other people who die, and you make your own God or you make your own heaven. There's people that who are really smart who say, no, no, no. You just when you die, you that's it. It's over. I don't know. I remember that TV show X Files on TV. A dead people's spirits would come back and they'd like haunt people. Of course, then there's reincarnation. Which would be kind of cool if I came back as a falcon or a wolf. be kind of a bummer to be a three-toed sloth <laughs> or a mosquito. Huh. Huh. I just, man, all these things that didn't used to bother me when I was a kid. I mean, dying is for old people. You know, but but now I got to go to more funerals, and I'm starting to think about that kind of thing more. And man, I don't know. It just feels like there's an expiration date somewhere marked on my body. And I wake up in the morning, my back's sore, and my hair's starting to recede and turning gray. The doc says I need bifocals. Sometimes when I'm at work, it just really stressful situation. I feel it, just a brief thing, and I don't know. Where, where am I going to go? What what happens to me when I'm done? Will there be somebody there to meet me? To, to take me there? I, I hope so. I, I, I don't do alone very well. Yeah, I could be the life of the party. I can be the guy with no suits and all balloons and 
drinks and such at the funeral, but when I think about it, when I think about it, and I say, where am I going to be ten minutes after my heart beats for the final time? I'm scared. I'm scared as hell. Where will you be ten minutes after your heart beats for the final time? Last week we talked about the resurrection from the dead that awaits all of us who genuinely have repented of our sins and come to saving faith in God through Jesus Christ. But, but today the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, and God is saying to us through the Scriptures, that, that as we think about our life, we need to also consider the reality of the eternal judgment. And so this morning, as we come to the conclusion of this series, let's look at what the Word of God teaches us about the reality and the nature of God's eternal judgment. If you have your message notes and you're following along, write in that first truth that we see in the Scripture, and that is that God's judgment is going to be rendered on your life and mine immediately when we die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 through 28, the Bible says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting Him. You see what the Bible is saying here? What the Bible is saying is that it is appointed once and for all for you and me to die. We die once. And then what happens? Well, then comes judgment. And so God's judgment is rendered on our lives immediately when we die. And, and you know, that, that leads me to ask a, a question. Uh, some of the questions that we heard here in the drama. You know, what about something, for instance, like reincarnation? This idea that that, that upon death, our soul, our spirit, uh, eventually will come back and inhabit uh, a body of another person, uh, some animal, something here in life. Does that have support in the Bible? Uh, well, we see from Hebrews chapter 9 that no, no, it doesn't. And we see from other parts of the New Testament and what the Scriptures teach that it doesn't. And, and, and yes, you know, reincarnation figures prominently in other world religions. For instance, I've seen Buddhist art in the past that portrays uh, the way uh, reincarnation supposedly occurs in people's lives. But the scripture is saying here, no. It is appointed for man to die once. And then judgment day is coming for us all. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story that I believe is a true story because when Jesus tells parables... Uh, he never uses names, but, but here in his story in Luke chapter 16, he uses the names of two people, and, and he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, two men who lived and who died. And, and this is what he says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. That's another way of saying the presence of the Lord or paradise as we saw last week. And then the scripture goes on to say that the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. And in some of your translations, maybe you have the words, uh, the place of the dead, or some other of your translations say hell. Some of them say Hades. Hades is a correct word here. And, and it's important to our understanding of this, as we'll see in just a few moments. But, but Jesus goes on to say about this man who was in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses, and they have the prophets, in other words, the Scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now what this story teaches us is some of what we saw last week when we talked about the resurrection of the dead. As, as this story tells us that when those like Lazarus die who have saving faith and, and who have genuinely repented of our sins, when we die we go immediately into the presence of God and His people. And, and so the point that we talked about last week was that if you and I are Christ followers and, and, and we die, our soul, our spirit, the immaterial part of us goes immediately into the presence of Jesus, which the Scripture, as we saw last week, tells us is a place of joy. It's a place of fellowship with God and other believers. It's, it, it's that word and that term that, that Jesus used to the thief on the cross when he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. It, it's the words that Paul uses when he talks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. And here in Luke 16, it's, it's Jesus talking about Lazarus going to Abraham's side. You see, as we talked about last week, when we as believers die, we don't go uh, immediately to heaven. We go to this intermediate state called paradise, to the presence of, uh, of the Lord. And, and we know from what the scripture tells us that Jesus is even now uh, preparing heaven for us. It's a place he's preparing and we'll come back one day and he will take us to be with him. When on that last day he comes and he brings about the end of the world as we know it, and uh, he brings a curtain down on history and uh, God raises up all those who have died and we are reunited with our soul and our spirit and we get to spend eternity in fellowship with God and with one another forever in heaven. Now, now I put there in the message notes a bit of a side note that you can look at later. We don't have time to look at this uh, right now, but, 
But understand that even as believers, there's going to be, in a way, a judgment for us. As Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10, how, how each of us is going to, as followers of Christ, appear before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, and it is there that we'll be held in a, to account for the things that we've done as his followers in this life. And, and the scripture talks about these great rewards for, for those who, who live for God and, and for his glory. That's what happens to us as believers. But, but what about those who don't believe? What about those who reject God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness of sin? What about those in our world who, who live for themselves and choose to follow their own way instead of God's way? Well, in Luke 16, we see Jesus' response to that as he, he tells us that the unrepentant man who lived all of, him, all of his life for himself and rejected God and rejected God's forgiveness and salvation, uh, that that unreje- unrepentant man is described immediately upon his death uh, as in Hades, where he was in torment. Or far away from Lazarus and Abraham. You see, he, he recognized, he understood that he was not in the presence of God. And he desired to be there. And Jesus says in verse 24 that his condition was one of being in agony or in anguish in the flames of fire. And, and that's repeated in verse 25 again as it talks about him being in anguish and agony. And, and then in verse 28, Jesus says it's a place that others uh, should be warned about. And at the end of verse 28, Hades is described as being a place of torment. And you see what, what, what Jesus is saying to all who hear this story is that what happened to the man is what happens to all people who spurn God's grace and, and, and who walk away from God and reject his offer of salvation. Uh, immediately upon death, God's judgment is rendered on them. And they find themselves in what the Bible says is a place of torment and agony and fire and separation from his presence. And just as heaven, or or just as uh, paradise for the believer is a temporary place until we get to heaven, so too the Bible teaches us that that Hades is a temporary place. It's an intermediate place. It's not the final destination, but that the final destination for those who, who have ultimately rejected God and His salvation in their life is a place the Scripture calls hell. It's a place where God says He is preparing for Satan and his angels. Now, now, in the Gospels, Jesus also talks about hell. He does it other times. Uh, here in Luke 16, he's talking about Hades. But in other places, he talks about hell. And when he does, he uses that word Gehenna. And, and in using that word Gehenna, it's, he's using a word picture of what hell would be like. And it was a word picture that, that all of his listeners well understood. Because you see, in Jesus' day, Gehenna was a deep ravine south of the city of Jerusalem. And it was also known as the Valley of Hinnom. And, and, and it was the perpetually burning garbage dump for Jerusalem. And it was a place where not only garbage was thrown, but sometimes even bodies were thrown out to be burned. And it was a place where prior to Jesus' day, wicked people had sacrificed human babies to the false god Moloch. Using this word picture, Jesus is describing hell as a terrible place, a fearful place. And we see the same picture in other places in the scripture where in other places the Bible calls hell the lake of fire. Places like 
Revelation 20 where, where the Apostle John describes the great day of judgment at the end of time. And he says, and the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then he goes on to talk about how human beings are judged. He says, and I saw a, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death, and here's that word, Hades. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And John talks about this lake of fire being the second death. And what does he mean by that? Well, what he's saying is that the first death is something that all of us as human beings experience. It's physical death. But the second death is a spiritual death. It's a, a death that is experienced only by those who have rejected God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness and salvation. It is eternal separation from God in hell. And the book of Revelation goes on to say there in verse 15 of chapter 20, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know how many of you have ever read some of those stories about near-death experiences, but but there's a lot of stories out there I know that, uh, uh, that people have written about their experiences when they've come close to dying or uh, when they were actually maybe pronounced dead but then resuscitated and came back to life. And, and oftentimes in those stories, there's that picture that people describe of a tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel is, is this bright light. Well, I found it interesting in, in some of the study for this message that came across a, a, the writings of a cardiologist, a former cardiologist at the University of Tennessee who had a while ago, written some books about this subject, and his name was Dr. Maurice Rawlings. And Dr. Rawlings worked in an emergency room over a period of time, and during that time, he and his colleagues got to interview over 300 people who had a near-death experience in that emergency room. And what made Dr. Rawlings' study so distinct was that, that, that people weren't interviewed weeks or months after their experience, but rather they were interviewed immediately after their experience. They were interviewed while they were still shaken up about what had happened before they had time to gloss over it or reimagine what had happened or what they had experienced. And, and, and you know what Dr. Rawlings' interviews revealed? But half the people encountered images of fire and of tormented and tormenting creatures and other sights very different than the place we might think of as heaven. And what was also interesting was that later on, they did follow-up interviews with those folks a few months after the fact. And, and it was interesting how so many of them had changed their story, apparently unwilling to admit to themselves and to others that they had caught a glimpse of something like what the Bible calls hell. And Dr. Rawlings writes in conclusion, just listening to these patients has changed my life. There is a life after death. And if I don't know where I'm going, 
It's not safe to die. Friends, maybe the reason that some of you are here today is to hear this sobering truth that when you die, there is coming a day of judgment. And if you are apart from Jesus Christ and you've never experienced His grace and His forgiveness and His salvation, for you, your destination will be hell. Looking at a third insight that we see in this story from Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells, we see that that at our death, our eternal condition is fixed. And 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 whether we're a believer or a non-believer, that destination is fixed as there is this great chasm that that separates the the righteous from the wicked. We see that in verse 26 where the man in Hades is told, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so as we think of that, I've placed another question in our message notes. And that is a question that oftentimes many people ask. And it is, is the idea of a second chance to trust Christ after death taught in the Bible? And we see here in Luke 16 that it's not. And it's not anywhere else either. In fact, the scripture teaches very consistently all throughout that when you and I die, our spiritual condition is fixed one way or the other. How many of you here this morning have ever seen that movie called The Bucket List? Anybody here see that? Okay, okay. a lot of people have seen that movie, The Bucket List. I, I've not seen it yet. Uh, I've heard it's a, a pretty good movie. And, and I was told that, that it was about two guys who uh, were experiencing a terminal illness. And, and so they decided to make a list of the things that they wanted to do before they died or before, you know, in the line of the movie or that popular line uh, that we have in our culture today before they kicked the bucket. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that, uh, that what inspired this movie was a book that was titled 100 Things to Do Before You Die. And it was co-authored by a guy by the name of Dave Freeman. And what's interesting about Dave Freeman's story is that he died at age 47 from a head injury that he suffered in a fall at home. And, and if you look at the book, you, you see his own list included... Such things as, you know, attending the Academy Awards or, you know, he said running with the bulls in Pablona, Spain. You know, I have no clue. That isn't my idea of one thing I want to do before I die. I figure I, I've done enough in my life that's been dangerous. I don't need to do that too. But, but he also talked about things like taking a voodoo trip to Haiti and all kinds of uh, things in this book. And, 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 and according to his family, Dave Freeman only got to do about 50 of those things on his list before he died, which is a reminder to all of us that none of us knows how long we have to live. But you know, perhaps most tragically for Dave Freeman, was it among the things that he and his co-author left off the list was preparing for the day of judgment. Preparing for that day when he would meet God face to face. And he hadn't entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, the sobering truth in all of this is that one day you and I will all, quote, kick the bucket. We will all die. And we don't know when that day will be. But Jesus is saying to us that when that day comes, there will be judgment. And that judgment will be fixed. It will be unchangeable for all eternity. 
We see in Luke 16 and Jesus' story this truth about God's eternal judgment, that that judgment is going to be rendered on our life when we die. But, but there's more that the Bible teaches us about eternal judgment. And, and that's the second great truth about this and, and I put there in the message notes. And that, that, that is that God's final judgment will be pronounced on my life when Jesus returns. God's final judgment will be pronounced on your life when Jesus returns. Look at what Jesus says in, about this here in Matthew 25. It, it says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one place to another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And, and then a little bit later in that passage, Jesus says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the passage concludes by saying, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yeah, I know that as we talk about this topic this morning, it is not an easy topic to hear. It, believe me, it's not an easy topic to be up here, here talking about, especially in our, our world that wants to emphasize so much God's love. But, but the reality and the truth of it is that there is also God's judgment that will await us at the end of our lives here on earth. And so it's better, isn't it, that we speak the truth? It's better that we hear the truth and do that in love? Because as Jesus says, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And so as we think about this this morning, there are some truths about God's eternal judgment that we need to hear that come out of these words of Jesus in Matthew 25. And the first is that Jesus on that day is going to ultimately be our judge. Jesus is going to be on the, ju the judge on that final day of judgment when he returns. And not only does Matthew 25 talk about it, but other verses talk about it as well. And, and I've placed there in those message notes, and you can go home and, and, and you can look at those. Because you see, what the Bible is saying is that one day there is coming a day when, when God is going to bring down the final curtain on human history. And when that happens, Jesus is going to sit in judgment on the world. And you know, as I think about that, one of the things I am most thankful for is that, is that the one who on that final day is going to pass judgment on me is the one who loved me enough to die for me and for my sin. And the one who is going to one day ultimately pass judgment on you is the one who loves you so much that he died for your sin. And so hopefully we understand that and hopefully we accept that in saving faith and come to God in repentance of our sin as we've talked about in previous weeks of this message series. Because the other reality that Jesus talks about in this passage is that one day this judgment is going to involve a great separation. It's going to involve a separation between those who the Scripture calls the sheep, those who are believers, and the goats, those who are unbelievers, those who've rejected God and His salvation. And there in this passage, Jesus says that, that, that to the sheep, they're going to be told, hey, come, come and, and come and be blessed by my Father uh, and enter the kingdom that has been prepared for you. But to the goats, He's going to say, depart, depart. You're cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil 
and His angels. You see, one day there's going to be a great separation. And and Jesus also says, uh, here, write it in, the judgment will be for all eternity. There'll be some who will go away into eternal punishment and some into eternal life. Again, that leads us to several questions. and, And we don't have time to look at those this morning, but I've placed those in the notes, some Questions about, for instance, universalism, this, this idea that, that some people have that, that, that God will never really truly judge everyone into hell for, forever and make them live forever in torment, but He will instead uh, one day bring uh, an end to them, so to speak. He will annihilate them. Or excuse me, that one day He will bring everybody to Himself. Universalism is one day He'll bring everybody to Himself and, uh, and that everybody will be saved eventually. But annihilism, then that other question we put there is that one day God will, will, will end their existence completely. And, and I've put some issues there and some questions and things that you can look at and you can see and, and see what the Scripture says about that. But ultimately today, as we think about this, and as we think about what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us in, in this concluding message of this series is that ultimately we all need to understand that one day judgment is coming. One day the final judgment will occur. And, and yet in the midst of all of this, there is some good news. There, there's some good news for those of us that wrestle with this and we wonder what does all this mean? And, and, and there are some things that the Scripture teaches us that, that again, we've placed there in the last page of the message notes that you can go home and, and look at. Things like understanding that that, that the doctrine of eternal judgment will satisfy the inward sense or need for fairness in this world. That, that one day God will set things right. And, and that's a good message about judgment. That, that God will one day set things right in this world of evil and wickedness and violence and hate and sin. And also, we see that God's judgments will be entirely true and just and fair. In other words, that when God does make His final judgment, He will not make any mistakes. He will make no mistakes. That He will make His decisions based on all of the information and all of the circumstances. And as the writer of Revelation says, that in the end, God's judgments will be fair and just and true. Every time. Or perhaps, not perhaps, but absolutely the the greatest good news for us is this third concluding thought that we have there in our message notes. And that is that, that, that as we face God, if we have been people who have experienced what we've talked about over these last weeks and, and, and we've come to Christ in saving faith and, and we've repented of our sin, we've done that U-turn in our life that we've been talking about and instead of living a life in sin, we now live a life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation. No condemnation for us if we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. John 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then those marvelous verses that are the last verses we'll look at this morning from Romans 8, 1 and 2, where the Bible says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you. And the power of sin, it leads to death. Friends, what this means for you and for me is that if we have repented of our sin and, and we have put our faith and our trust in Christ and we are following Him as our Savior and Lord, when judgment day comes, there will be no condemnation for us. Closing, I, I want to share with you a couple of short stories. And, and one of them is a a story of what took place uh, a number of years ago in an interview that, that Muhammad Ali gave to some reporters. Some of you know the name Muhammad Ali. He was the great prize fighter of a few decades ago. And, and a number of years ago, uh, he was talking about what he believed about the afterlife and how it you know, involved his faith and all of those things. And in that interview, he said, you know, one day we're going to die. And I think we all can agree with that. That's reality. Uh, as we saw in the drama, our bodies have an expiration date on them. But then the second thing Muhammad Ali said was that God is going to judge us when we die. And, and you know, that's right too. And, and then he said, God's going to judge our good deeds and our bad deeds. And, and that's right as well. But then Muhammad Ali expressed that philosophy that's so prevalent in our world today. And, and, and he did so in saying that if the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. But if the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. And you know, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And in fact, Paul talks about in the scripture how, how all of our righteous acts, uh, all the things we try to do to be good, are like a, a filthy rag before a holy God. It is only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that any of us escapes condemnation and judgment. A few years ago, Jack Welch was interviewed by Dan Rather on 60 Minutes. And, and at the end of that interview, Dan Rather asked Jack Welch, the former CEO of General Electric, he said, Jack, what's the toughest question you've ever been asked? And Jack responded by saying, well, it was a time I was asked if I thought I'd go to heaven. And Dan said, well, how'd you respond? Welch said, it it was a long answer. But I said, if caring about people and giving it your all and being a good friend counts, despite the fact that I've been divorced a couple times and no one's proud of that, and I haven't done everything right all the time. But he said, if those good things count, I think I have a shot. However, I'm in no hurry to get there or to find out anytime soon. You know, friends, I I hope, it is my hope and prayer that someone has come alongside Jack Welch and said, Jack, if you are depending on your good works to get you to heaven, you you don't stand a chance. And neither do we. It is only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I will stand forgiven on the day of judgment. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we've heard a difficult message this morning. But we thank you for the truth of this message and that the truth sets us free. And so Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who 
may be sensing as they've heard these Scriptures today that they're not ready for that day when they meet You face to face. And I pray in the next moments as we sing our closing song that that they would say to You in prayer, Oh God, forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins and repentance and I turn to You and put my faith and trust in You. In You, Jesus, to save me through Your shed blood on the cross that paid the consequences of my sin. Lord, as I pray that that be the prayer unbelievers pray, I pray that for every believer in this room that, that when we walk from this place sobered by the knowledge that judgment is coming, we would be motivated by the need to talk to people around us about you and about your salvation. I pray that as we walk away today, we would rejoice in the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And that there is no condemnation for all of us who are in him. Heavenly Father, would you lead us to live a life in that truth from this day forward? A step at a time, a day at a time, until that day when we leave this life and enter into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of your Holy Spirit and all God's people in agreement said. know that we've gone over time and some of you may need to leave. If you need to step out, feel free to do that. Don't be embarrassed to do that if you need to go. If you're one who needs the forgiveness and grace of God today, I invite you to go ahead and remain behind and let God do business in your heart and life as we sing a closing song. That you would pray to God for forgiveness. And if you pray that prayer, you would talk with me after the service or you send a note to me this week and let me know that so that I can pray for you so that I can rejoice with you if we're followers of Jesus Christ let us use this closing song as our benediction let us go from this place to rejoice in the grace and the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that has set us free from eternal judgment